the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions or life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart. I'll do the best that I can. All you have to do is call us. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call 877, that's toll-free, 630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in to us via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. Uh, As I always remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, There's only one button at the top of the banner. Um, Call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. One more time for our main number. It's 340-9585. I was just talking to the producer here about uh, this. He said, this is the last Friday in October. And I thought, that means it's the last Sunday in October. And I have no idea where October went. All I know is that I woke up this morning and it was freezing cold. I mean freezing cold. And I thought winter is here already. So maybe it will go really fast and we'll have summer come back really, really soon. Hey, got a good Bible study tonight in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to be doing verses 4 through 11 uh, about discipline and correction. Obviously, those things are important. But also a little bit about parenting because God, the Father, of course, is our example of parenting. So it is, I think, a really important Bible study in terms of application. And then on Sunday here at Calvary Chapel, wherever you're going, you're going to get something else. But here we're going to be talking about the triumphal entry uh, as we finish Luke chapter 19. Well, let's get to some questions while we wait for your phone calls. The first one comes from Randy. He says, is it possible for an atheist to repent on their deathbed and be saved? Randy, of course it is. Of course it is. You know, the old saying, there's no atheist in foxholes. Well, a, a lot of times on people's deathbed, I find out they're really looking, they're searching, and somebody who their entire life has rebelled against God, or even worse, as in the situation in your case with your question, uh, people who just denied him and, and even mocked and made fun of those uh, who believed. Um, well, I'll tell you, when it gets dark... And the time is drawing near for you to stand before the Lord in judgment. Um, There's a time when they're going to have to really examine their heart. Now, a lot of those hearts are so hard by that time that they are impenetrable. Um, But we have had um, occasions where people who wanted nothing to do with God, others who didn't believe at all in him, who did surrender their heart to Jesus 
uh, on the last day, the last hours of their life, and in, in some cases, the last minutes of their life. So yes, Randy, it is possible, uh, and we've seen it happen. Um, you know, one of the things that always fascinates me about God is he doesn't care what our motives are for coming to him. You know, when I see an atheist or a denier or even somebody who's just willfully lived in rebellion against God, and I see those questions that, that, that start to come into their mind and into their heart as they near death, I always think somebody's been praying for them. Somebody's been praying for them. So, Randy, I don't know if you've got somebody in your life who is uh, close to death and they have been an atheist or rebelled against God their whole life. But please keep praying and don't give up because there's always that chance. I don't think it happens a lot, but it does happen. So hope that helps, Randy. Here's a question from Alex. Pastor Ron, there's a man in my church who argues constantly about the Sabbath. How can I debate him successfully? Uh, two things, uh, Alex. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off by saying don't debate with him. Don't worry about being successful. You can't save him. Uh, you can't change his doctrinal positions. Only the Holy Spirit can. And people that are locked in, especially legalists, which is what Sabbatarians are, those legalists think they're right and they want to justify themselves by doing things or observing rituals when in fact it's impossible to justify ourselves. So don't argue with him. Don't debate. He's not your problem. You tell him the truth. You tell him the truth in love. And then you pray for him. That's all you can do. And when he comes to you and wants to argue with you, just tell him, you know what? I'm here to praise the Lord. I'm not here to argue about your pet doctrine. I'm here to praise the Lord. Now, that's the the general counsel that I always give. I think it's really, really important. But let me give you just a little bit of clue. One of the things that that, uh, you can read, it's just simple reading. This isn't even Bible study. Go to Exodus chapter 31 and talking about the Sabbath in verse 15. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest. Holy to the Lord, whoever does any work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. And then here's the key verse. The Israelites, this is chapter 31, verse 16 in Exodus. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath celebrating it for the generations to come as a lasting covenant. Who is to celebrate or to observe the Sabbath? The Israelites. And I don't know why people can't get that. You know, they'll go to Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, but they don't read through and they don't rightly divide the Word of God. It doesn't say anything about Texans observing the Sabbath. This is a covenant, the old covenant that Jesus wiped out when in what we call the Last Supper, he lifted the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant written in my blood. So show him Exodus 31, verse 16, and ask him who is being spoken to here. Who is the command given to? And then ask him, are you an Israelite? And then he's got to hold on to it only because he wants to too proud to say he was wrong. But but don't argue with people. It just doesn't really matter a whole bunch. Let's go to Anonymous on line one. Anonymous, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Well, yes, sir. Um, I have a few things I'd like to say. You know, as, as Christians, uh, sometimes God allows things to happen in our lives that we don't really understand why. But we do know that God has his reasons why and my question to you, uh, Pastor, is, um, you know, I'm a Christian. I believe in doing what is right, and I always try to do what is right. But despite that, you know, God still allows a little suffering pain in my life, and I'd like your thoughts on that, please. I'll listen to your response on the radio. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you. Whenever anonymous that we're dealing with the question why, I always refer people to the book of Job, uh, because the book of Job is a uh, a book... Um, that 
begs the question why. Um, Job's friends ask why. Job's wife asks why. Uh, Job asks why. And it's the one question that's never answered. In the entire book, that's the answer that is never given. And I tell people here at the church all the time, instead of asking why, God, instead of asking the why, look for the who. And in the middle of your trial or in the middle of the suffering or whatever it is that you're dealing with at that moment, uh, just recognize that the who, Jesus Christ, is with you in that trial. Then we also need to understand what suffering he went through. Uh, Jesus never once asked his father why. Except, why have you forsaken me? See, that's a very human question. But even Jesus didn't get the answer. If God didn't spare his own son from suffering, I don't know why it is that we have this expectation that our life is going to go easy. I'm actually going to be dealing with that a little bit in my Bible study tonight, Anonymous. Um, Look at the Apostle Paul, a great, great servant of God, used greater than any other human that's ever walked the earth. And look at the suffering and the persecution and the constant danger and the beatings and the shipwrecks. I go on and on and on. Why did God allow those things in his life? In the Bible study, we did not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday before in Isaiah. God says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. They're so much higher and we can't figure it out. And Anonymous, I've never understood and maybe this is just a gift that God has given me but it never occurred to me to ask him why. I've thought sometimes, why did you save me, Lord? I was such a jerk. Now I understand why now. But but I've never thought to ask God, why are you letting this happen to me? Now, you may have heard on earlier programs, I've I've gone through some health issues the last couple of years, two and a half years now. Um, A really freak thing, a virus hit my heart, and everything changed in an instant. And Anonymous, the one thing that I told Palmer to do was hold me accountable to be sure that I'm a good witness for the Lord in the middle of my fear, in the middle of my pain or suffering. I think I did okay, but the point is, I never said, God, why me? I think the better question is, why not me? Now, as to a reason why, other than his ways are above your ways, God allows us to go through things in some cases so that we will cling more closely to him in some ways to correct us because we've strayed off a little bit. Sometimes he's just letting us go through something to strengthen our faith and with no explanation. What we have to do is understand that he has a plan and a purpose And we don't need to know. I tell our church here all the time, Anonymous, that with God, I'm on a need-to-know basis, and obviously God doesn't think I need to know very much. Those are questions that just don't get answers. But suffering, persecution, bad things that happen in a fallen world, those are the normal course of life in this fallen world, and Christians are not exempt. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you very, very much. Let's go to Jeff calling from San Antonio on line two. Jeff, thanks for holding her on the air. Hi, Pastor. I'm calling early today, and uh, I'll try not to be I'll try not to be silly because Mama Paula's not on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Paula says she's the comic. Re- Paula says she's the comic relief in our group. Well, you know, it's one thing I was thinking about. One of my comments was was sort of was, was about joy. First of all, I appreciate what you just said, too. Um, I heard a pastor once say that with all the perspectives we as humans have, God has thousands and thousands or infinite number of perspectives that we could just never understand looking at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, appreciate Anonymous' calls. But have you heard Joni Erickson Tata? Do you know who she is? 
Oh yes, and I've heard her. She's she's a, 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 a heroine of our faith. Okay. Yes, absolutely. And when I when I became a Christian in 1991, um, I had the privilege of having a similar job where I could I had time to listen to the radio and and, and I do a lot of driving for my current job. So God has blessed me with your ministry and everything. It's been awesome. But the first time I heard Joni Erickson Tata, I was a I was a new Christian and. I knew nothing about her, but I heard this this joy exuding from her that I had really never heard before. And I thought, can this be real? <clears throat> Pardon me. And then then I found out a little about her. Then I found out her testimony, her story, and I was I about fell over when I and she was painting with her mouth and everything. And I just thought, Lord, I I, I want to have that kind of joy. I want to represent you that way. And and I haven't met a whole lot of people in my life that really exude that kind of joy until I heard your wife, until I started <laughs> listening to you and started hearing. I mean, she's got a great personality anyway, but her joy is just so authentic and genuine and, and real and just meeting her in person. and just, you know, that was just awesome. So I'd love for you to comment about that. And, and the other comment I'd, I'd like you to expound on a little bit is something from one of your Bible studies. I've been appreciating your, your study on the book of Holy Stubbornness. And, <laughs> and that, that one of the things that really spoke to me there is that you, you mentioned how how the Christian, how the pastor, how, how the church simply usurps the authority of Jesus Christ. And you, you commented too that you know the principles of being a servant, you know, working under authority, and especially in this culture of entitlement where we live, um, our job is to do what Jesus tells us to do. With no whining and no attitudes and everything. But I, I would love for you to comment more on on our culture as we have chosen to usurp authority. And that's all I have. I'll let you take over, Pastor. I love you. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate the questions. I could actually, on that second question, I could spend, if you've listened to the Bible studies, you, you know I could spend an hour on it uh, easily. So uh, let me let me tell you a story about Joni Erickson Tata. Um, I heard her say this, um, uh, and, and, and there's just a, a credibility about her. A depth of relationship, a depth of intimacy with the Lord. You just know she meant it. It's almost like Paul saying in Romans chapter 9 that he says, I, I, I tell you the truth, I am not lying. Uh, the Holy Spirit confirms it in my conscience, or my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Um, and then he, he goes on to say that he would give his place in heaven for the Jews who are trying to kill him. If only they would believe. Now we know and he knew that he couldn't do that. But with that triple oath, we knew that that was his heart, his genuine heart. That was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Well, I heard Johnny Erickson Tata one time say that what she has gained from her condition, what she's gained from uh, what the rest of us would look at and just see tragic circumstances, she said has been so rich, has been so valuable to her, that she would not take anything that's happened to her back if she had the opportunity. And somebody said, you mean if you could walk, if you could get all those years back that you were paralyzed, you wouldn't do that? And her answer was no. Because of what I know about the lover of my soul. Now, we need to really think about that. That's not the Apostle Paul saying that. That's just a regular human being. And the reason that she is able to give God thanks in all circumstances, the reason that she's able to be content in all circumstances and find that peace that passes understanding is because she's learned what sharing in the fellowship of Jesus' suffering produces. So, yeah, suffering is horrible. She's um, at a, a, an unbelievably difficult time. 
Uh, but oh, how the Lord has used her. And oh, what a wealth of joy that that suffering has produced. That's what happens when we share in the fellowship of his sufferings. We have a man in our church. Um, um, his name is Norm. Um, one of the dearest men in my life. Um, Norm was a doctor. He um, evidently wasn't a nice guy. Um, got sick. Um, at first lost one leg in amputation, then lost another. And in the process of his suffering, in the process of, of his pain, this is a guy who really met Jesus. Now, I believe he was saved before, but he didn't really know him. And in the process of suffering, this dear, sweet man who didn't used to be so dear or sweet, his wife's always been precious, but uh, this, this man became like Johnny Erickson Tata. And even though life is difficult for him, um, to see this man so beautifully humble and so tender and sweet and kind, um, he's learned what it's like to share in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings. So I think that's important. Jeff, one other thing that I'll say about Johnny Erickson Tata before we I go to the second question is this. Um, I ask the audience to keep her in prayer. She's now um, suffering with a reoccurrence of breast cancer. Remember, she's completely paralyzed um, from the, the, the neck down. And um, and she's having a hard time. I mean, this is a, a very serious situation. and um, I'm sure she would covet knowing that people are praying for her. Um, regarding the other question, um, you talk about godly stubbornness. Um, and, and I say this boasting only in the Lord. But I am the stubbornest man you'll probably ever meet. If God's told me to do something, nobody's going to talk me out of it. Circumstances aren't going to shake me from it. Imagine how difficult it's been for us over the years. And, and we are such a poor church. I mean, we give everything away for free. The, 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 this is a very, very expensive ministry to, to run. Um, and, and yet, a lot of people would say, well, well, why don't you stop the free school if you can't afford it? Or why don't you stop the free doctor's office or, or Manor House or all the other things that we do, Joy of Jesus, even the radio programs? Well, why don't you stop it until you can save some money and, and have a little bit of a cushion? And my answer is always the same. I can't. It's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And he's the one that gives orders. Now, that to me is a gift of faith that God has given me. And I've had people try to talk me out of things, and it's just like, I tell them, look, I don't know what you think you're going to accomplish, but God is the one who told me to do this, and we're not going to stop doing it until God tells me not to. And I think too often, Jeff, in our lives, we act as though God is giving us a choice. God says to do something, we sort of pray about it, you know, we're trying to figure out if it's something we want to do or if it makes sense to do. Uh, and, and I think because we're not committed, I think the first time difficulty arises, that's when we kind of turn away in disobedient. And I think God wants us to be godly stubborn. I could say that using better English, but that makes the point better. Paul is telling us over and over in his epistles to stand firm, to be immovable, or to be like Jesus who set his face as flint to go to Jerusalem, to be like the Apostle Paul when he was going back to Jerusalem himself and he was warned everywhere he went not to go, warned about being imprisoned or, or perhaps dying. And Paul said, you're breaking my heart. I know that prison awaits me. I know that hardship is, is waiting for me. But don't you know by now that I'm willing not just to live, but to die for the gospel of God? Nobody could talk him out of it. And I think we, all of us, especially in these last days, we need more of that godly stubborn. 
the way the world is coming against Christians. The names that were being called the eventual and inevitable persecution that we who hold the truth of the scriptures are going to face. We've got to decide right now, right now, whether or not we're going to stand firm and be with Jesus. Because if we wait until we're tempted, it's too late. That's a decision that we got to make every day. And for me personally, that's why I say today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus and the idea there is no matter what. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit in your name and for your glory. And that's something that we all, Jeff, need to be reminded of every day. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate that opportunity. We have 30 minutes left to go in the week. It's a Friday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. I'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. 30 minutes remain in our week. 340-9585. Here is a question from Mel. Um, he or she asks, did Jesus have a human body before he came into the world? Uh, the answer is no. Um, um, Jesus' incarnation, um, his, his uh, gift to the world to become like us so that he could reveal um, the character, the nature of God to us, um, the incarnation which enables us um, to, to, to understand um, what he suffered because we suffer. Um, his incarnation, um, um, I mean, think about it. He's one moment receiving worship of angels. The next moment, he's placed in the womb of a teenage girl and he's going to stay in this world that is infinitely, infinitely inferior to the world that he left. He's going to take on limitations, but 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 that happened at the incarnation, Mel, and not a, a moment before. So uh, he was always the Son of God, crucified before the foundations of the world had been laid. Uh, however, um, he was in a um, in his realm as God, the Son of God, um, in heaven with a body built for heaven. Um, when he became a man, Philippians chapter 2 said he humbled himself and took on form. So I hope that answers your question. Let's go to Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Uh, Joy of Jesus was wonderful. And I thought we had beautiful weather, and it was just a real blessing blessing of a day. Uh, the sewing ministry, uh, we passed out 600 pillows wow. for, for the day. And, um, 600 pillows? Yeah, six, six and those ladies, they, they just everybody really pitched in, and we, we had a lot of pillows. But um, you know what I was wondering about? It's kind of an odd question. Now, animals are alive because they have a spirit, but we have a spirit and a soul. But when animals die, does their spirit just, like, evaporate and, and it's just gone? But what happens to us when we die? We, does our spirit, like, die too and then our soul continues to live? I've been thinking about this all week long, so I'll, I'll get off the uh, air and, and listen on the radio. Thank you, Cindy. Good to hear from you again. And thank you for all of your hard work and, and all of the others who are part of the sewing ministry. That's a, a ministry that we keep forgetting. You guys are always so busy. You know, you're not out running around. 
Um, but uh, what, a, what a wonderful, wonderful job gave him out. Um, how wonderful that is. Um, I don't want to get confused or confuse anybody with the spirit-soul dichotomy. For all practical purposes, when you hear about soul or spirit, we're talking about the same thing. Now, when we say that our desires can be soulish, that's just pandering to the flesh. That's just the carnal nature in us. But um, it, it's not because we have a spirit and a soul that we're going to live forever. It's because, Cindy, we were made in the image of God. Now, being made in the image of God means two things. First, it means that we have the capacity to choose. God chooses and we choose. That's sort of the mystery of all mysteries. God chooses us um, and, and yet we have to choose him back. So that's what it means to be made in the image of God. The second thing about being made in the image of God means that we are from our birth, uh, from our conception really, we are eternal beings. We're going to live somewhere forever and ever and ever. But only man is said to live in the image of God or to be created in the image of God. What that means is that um, animals, um, you know, Cindy, you've heard my story. I'm a, a dog guy. I had a the best dog in the history of the world, a 125-pound Rhodesian Ridgeback Boxer mix that followed us from California to Texas, you know, when we, we brought him out and he lived to be uh, 15 years old and and um, and he died. Um, in fact, to, he was suffering at the end, so we had to put him down. And um, I was there. I was holding him when he died and he just died. There was no spirit. There's nothing that's going to live forever. He just ceased to be. So he was a gift to me, a wonderful gift from God. Um, but he's not going to be in heaven because heaven is for those who are made in the image of God. And that's a really important thing to understand. You know, it makes us feel all goosebumpy when we think, oh yeah, God's going to give me everything I need to be happy in heaven. And so my dog is going to be there. But, but that's not true. The only thing we need to be happy eternally and infinitely so is Jesus. And, and when I get to heaven, my dog Moto is going to be one of the things that I give God thanks for. I'm so grateful that he came out. He, he was Paula's protector when I was in Bible college. We lived in a not-so-good part of town. And, and uh, believe me, this was a dog nobody wanted to mess with. And he protected her and kept her safe. And I will say thank you so much, but he won't be in heaven. And I think it's uh, almost childish. And I don't mean that in an insulting way. It's almost childish to think, well, I'm going to need him in heaven to be happy. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's immaturity. And so what we need to understand is that the giver of the gift is good and worthy of our worship. But they don't have a spirit in the same sense that we have an eternal spirit. So you and I, Cindy, we're going to live forever. We're going to be with Jesus. People that don't know Jesus, they're still going to live forever, but it's going to be in, in, in torment. Not so with animals. They have a purpose here on earth. Um, once that purpose is fulfilled, they're just done. So uh, I know that always bums people out. And yet the truth of the matter is, is we should be so grateful to God for the things that he has given us in this world to enjoy. Hope that helps. Thank you, Cindy. Good to hear from you. And again, thank you and all of the other ladies and the and the and, and the men that you might have had in the sewing ministry. Uh, what a great, great ministry that is! What a gift from from God you are. Uh, here's an anonymous question uh, sent in. It said, "Does your church believe in spiritual authority? Uh, if so, what makes you think pastors know better than those in the congregation?" I, I'm not really sure what you're asking. Of course, our church believes in spiritual authority. Um, Jesus is the authority in this church. He's called me to be the pastor. And that makes me uh, responsible to him for loving the church, for serving the church, for teaching the church, for exhorting the church, 
to give them the opportunity to use their spiritual gifts. Uh, and, and so I'm the man that God has called in this particular church uh, to represent him uh, and, and be the teacher. Um, that doesn't mean I know more stuff than the people in my congregation. we got some really, really brilliant people in this church. Uh, I would never think that I'm smarter than they are. Uh, I'd like to think that, that I know the Bible as well as anybody in our church does, and certainly better than most. It's what I do. It's the gift that God gave me, and, and it's what I'm called to do. But the fact that I am the person that God has chosen to be the spiritual head of this church uh, has nothing to do with me thinking that because I'm a pastor, I know better than those in the congregation. Now, let me, if this contest is, or this question, rather, is meant in context as sort of a, 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 a backhanded shot at me or, or pastors. Uh, you remember when Moses was sort of being rebelled against by his brother and his sister? And God, Miriam, evidently was the ringleader, and uh, he struck, God did, Miriam with leprosy. Now, he healed her as well. But it was because she questioned not Moses' authority, because she questioned God's authority. God's the one who called. I know we live in a time where everybody ought to have their own say, everybody ought to have an opinion, but, but not in Jesus' church. In Jesus' church, the only opinion that matters is his. And one of my jobs is to keep our church in a place where we understand that and we're being obedient to that. So the only authority I have is in the role God has given me. That does not mean I take nor do I have authority over anybody's life. I don't. Uh, There's nobody who is required to submit to me. Um, but if you have questions with authority, you have to take it up with the Lord. I'll say one more thing. If you have questions anonymous with authority, um, you're not going to be able to be used by the Lord. I tell my pastors all the time to be In authority, you first have to learn to be under authority. And the Bible is really clear, Old Testament and New, that there is an authority structure in the church of Jesus Christ. We are all priests, members of the New Covenant priesthood, but we all have our own roles in the church. And my role is the role of pastor of Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Hope that makes sense to you. And I always get a little bit concerned for people that are always questioning authority. I know that's in vogue these days, but it is not in vogue in God's house. Not at all. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Peter. He says, isn't it fleshy to work to store up treasures in heaven? Shouldn't we just serve because he died for us? Peter, um, it can be fleshy, depending on your motives. But let me tell you what's fleshy. What's really fleshy is to put on that sort of super spiritual veneer that says, oh, I don't want any rewards. I, I just am serving Jesus. I just want to be with Jesus. We all just want to be with Jesus, and we all want to serve the Lord. But Jesus is the one who exhorted us to work for crowns, for rewards, store up your treasures in heaven, he said. And we do that by the things that we do here on earth. The Apostle Paul talks about uh, his crown of righteousness that's stored up for him on that day. And he was acknowledging that um, just before his death. Um, if Jesus says that we should look forward to our treasures in heaven, and if Paul says that we should store up treasures in heaven, and both of those were speaking under the inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit, then I think pretty much the question 
should be moot. Yes, we should store up treasures in heaven and do good works, which are going to facilitate that. Over and over and over, we're exhorted to do good things here in order to get those crowns. Now, make no mistake, the real treasure is Jesus. But we're going to cast those crowns down at his feet. And he's going to measure, he's going to weigh the works that we've done, the things that we've done. And it all matters. It all matters. And if you don't believe that, then it's likely, if you don't believe it, you're wrong. It's 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 that clear in Scripture. But, but if you don't believe that, if you don't live for those crowns, to present with Jesus sort of as, as a trophy. Jesus, look what you've done for me and look what I did for you. And he'll say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And when he says that, that will mean everything to us. And if you're not working for expecting those crowns to honor him, to bring glory to him, then it's likely you're not producing a whole bunch of fruit. So maybe we can take off the super spiritual hat a little bit, Peter, and just do what the Bible says. I want every crown Jesus has for me. I don't want to miss a one. Unfortunately, I'm sure I already missed some, but I don't want to miss any more. Here is a question from Raymond. This is a question that I get a lot. Were Paul and Jesus equals in terms of importance to our Christian walk. Um, I always have to answer this, Raymond, in, in two different directions. I think I know you're, you're, you're talking about as it relates to the writings of Paul versus the Gospels or the words that are in red letters in your Bible. But let me start off by saying that no, Paul and Jesus aren't equals. One is creator, one is created. That makes the difference between them infinite. Jesus is so superior to the greatest of human saints that it's not even a conversation. So no, 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 they are not and never will be equals. In the same way, Jesus and angels aren't equals. Jesus and Lucifer, now Satan, are not equals. Jesus is the absolute ruler and master over everything. So they are not equals. Having said that, In our Bibles, the writings of Paul carry exactly the same weight as the writings attributed to Jesus, the words that are attributed to Jesus. It's not like Jesus says something, so, well, hey, that's Jesus. Remember, Jesus lived and walked and spoke by the power of the Holy Spirit. I only say what I hear my Father say, he said. I only do what I see my Father do. So Jesus walked on this earth in the fullness of power from the Holy Spirit. We also need to remember that Jesus didn't write those Gospels. Those Gospels were written by humans writing under the inspiration of the Spirit. So just as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were men writing about Jesus and attributing words to Jesus, the Apostle Paul was doing exactly the same thing. And every word in your New Testament are the very words of Jesus himself. Written by and preserved by the Holy Spirit of God. The Gospels introduce us to Jesus from different perspectives. The book of Acts And the rest of the epistles, including the book of Revelation, those tell us how to follow Jesus. Who he is is the Gospels, what he's done, but the rest of the Bible is to how to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Not work for our salvation, but working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So Raymond, don't get trapped by those who will say, well, I only really pay attention to the words of Jesus. You know, one of the things that we see going on in the the world that we live in even now is you'll find 
um, practicing homosexuals, committed homosexuals, uh, who uh, claim to be Christians. Uh, we know they're not. You cannot have the Holy Spirit in you and live an unholy life, a willful, rebellious, unholy life. Um, and they'll say, well, you know, Jesus never said anything about homosexuality, so I think it's okay. Well, Jesus had a lot to say about homosexuality in the Old Testament and in the New. He just used human authors. So yes, they are equals in terms of their writings. And those writings, of course, have great practical value for our day-to-day Christian lives. But the difference between Paul and Jesus is an infinite difference. So Raymond, I hope that helps. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, He or she says, Must one believe Jesus is God to be saved? I believe in Jesus. I'm just not sure he was God. You know, anonymous, we're told repeatedly that only God can forgive sins. Our sins are against God. You remember when David, in in the great psalm of repentance, was caught for his sins. Um, He... Um, fell on his face finally and he said against thee and thee only have I sinned O God Um, our sins are against God thus only God can forgive sins and we do that because of the finished work of Jesus Christ so if Jesus wasn't God then we're not saved it's that simple it is in my view impossible to read the Gospels and not see over and over and over how Jesus declares himself to be God. In the epistles, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, Paul writes. So over and over and over we're told that Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity, which makes him fully God, not a third God, not a junior partner in the Trinity. And Anonymous, you have to believe that Jesus is God. Now you say, well, how do I know for sure? It's so simple. Do just a little bit of work. Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. That statement was validated by his death and resurrection from the dead. So if the resurrection is true, Jesus is who he said he was, and he repeatedly claimed to be God. So he must be received that way. If you have a Jesus who isn't God, you have a Jesus who is incapable of saving. Good question. Here is... Oh, great. I just got a, a, a Hindle, thank you, a, a, an update from um, a, a, a daily listener to the program uh, from the Austin area. And she says, this recent update on her health, meaning Johnny Erickson Tata, shows all clear. So praise the Lord. And then Hindle says, I hope it stays that way. And uh, so do I. And uh, we'll keep uh, Johnny Erickson Tata in our prayers. Hindle, thank you for that. It just brightened up uh, what's been with all the things going on, sometimes a difficult day. Appreciate it very, very much. Let's see if I got time for one more question. No, let's go to uh, Jonestown and talk with Dale online. One, Dale, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, I know I'm sliding in under the line, so I'll make it quick. Um, in regard okay. to the New Testament and uh, the words of Paul, all being from Jesus. Uh, just a quick question in First Corinthians seven. Uh, he says that as to virgins, he had no commandment from the Lord, but he gave a trustworthy judgment. Is that still Holy Spirit inspired, or is that him in a way recusing himself on that one topic? That that's a great great question because what it does it it tells us a lot about Paul's humility. Um, but what he's saying is, look, I have no direct correspondence from God. In other words, uh, Paul would say, um, um, uh, you know, Jesus didn't say anything about this to me. Je- you know, Jesus appeared to Paul repeatedly and taught him for three years. 
But what he's saying is, this is a commandment not from the Lord, but I give the commandment. Another place he'll say, well, this is a commandment uh, from the Lord, not from me. Um, and and what we know, Dale, is that this was uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit writing him to say that, you know, he'll say, um, you know, my um, uh, my conscience is clear. Uh, I think I have God's heart or mind on these kind of things. But what what he was saying is, uh, in in First Corinthians, he's dealing with questions that were written uh, or or brought to him out of the Church of Corinth, and and he says, you know, I have no further instruction. Um, and then he'll add something. Uh, but we need to understand that everything that's in your New Testament is written by the the Holy Spirit. It's the the breath of God, uh, the, the 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 pneuma of God pushing the pen of men, in this case, the Apostle Paul. So um, that's just Paul being humble. At the same time, um, there's it, it adds the element of mystery to, to, to our Scripture. Paul um, didn't know he was writing Scripture. thought he was just writing a letter. And what he's saying, look, I don't want to burden you with this, but if this is from the Lord, then, then he'll reveal it to you. So yes, it is inspired by the Holy Spirit even when he put in that disclaimer. Great, great question, Dale. Wow, what a great week we had. This is the word to stand up for life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. When you go to church on Sunday, maybe you're going tonight, like we're having church here, look for people that need to be loved and be the one God uses. I'll see you next week. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.